welcome everyone to the Screamcast episode 82. I am Shonda Rager, and joining me is BJ Colangelo. I'm back. She's back. And Brad Henderson. <laughs> Yo, hey. <laughs> BJ, we are insanely glad you're back. Um, I know, I gotta like, shake up, gotta shake up this sausage party every I once guess in a while. You have to, cause, you know, <laughs> it can't just be me and Brad all the time. When's the last time you were on? Um, it's been it's a couple. It's been a couple of yeah, episodes. A couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, just musical theater, man, sucks your life away. <laughs> but it's been no, it's been great. It's been a great show. I've missed you guys. I've missed all of the listeners. I've gotten all of your tweets asking where I am. I'm still here. I promise. Um, just been very, very busy, but very glad to be back. I've missed busting your guys's balls and getting in fights about movies. Totally. Well, we have an awesome show today. I'm really excited. We're going to be talking to you, Mark Fortin and Josh Miller, writers of The Final Girls. So we need to be getting to that very soon. But first... One of the actors in Class of 1999. <laughs> but first, <laughs> let's get to what's on our doorstep. Holy cow. I almost forgot. We'll get the door. Yay! <laughs> Let BJ go first since I love her and I haven't heard her voice in a while. <laughs> I know I've been I've been gone. Um, because I've been in my show, I haven't gotten to watch a lot of things, but I've been very lucky that the things I have watched have all been exceptional. Um, first one I watched was The Final Girls, but I won't talk about that because we'll talk about it with the writers and I'll gush all over the place. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Um, uh, but some of the things I watched that I, you know, really liked, um, I continued my rewatch of the Goosebumps series and I did something that I never thought I would ever do. Um, for those of you who don't know, and this might be even news for Brad and Sean, I, I am phobic of lawn gnomes and I have been (laughs) my entire life. I mean, to the point where I have, I know somebody else. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, it's, it's, they terrify me. Um, like I can't go into the lawn ornament section of Home Depot. Like it freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> but the thing is like, and it's only like lawn gnomes, like the weird zombie ones that they sell at Spirit Halloween, like that's fine. But like legitimate, like red hatted, like Expedia Travelocity gnome type things, like no, 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 I can't do it. They're fucking terrifying. And it's all because of an experience I had. With the Goosebumps television show with Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. And I really want to see the new Goosebumps movie, but I know that there is some major stuff going on in there with the Lawn Gnomes. <laughs> so I figured, okay, now, you know, I'm, I'm 25. It's time to grow up and rewatch this fucking TV episode. And I rewatched it and I admittedly was. Uh, my boyfriend called me out. He's like, you are visibly shaken right now. You, you do not look like you're having a good time. Cause I wasn't. Um, but I, ma- I made it through. I didn't die. And I think it was, it was pretty therapeutic rewatching it. And, um, if you want to read about my experiences, I wrote about it on Halloween Love, but I rewatched that. Um, I watched Cooties, which I yeah. really liked. I really liked it a lot. Um, it's fun. It, it's fun. Yeah, and that's that's what it is. Oh, it's Sean, fun. get off your high horse. It's okay. It's real. Get over yourself. <laughs> it's so fun. I think that 
you can tell that everybody involved in it was having a lot of fun. Um, oh, I think yeah. some of, yeah, some of the jokes I do think are a little forced, like the CrossFit joke, while it was like a really funny one off and got, you know, a pretty hearty laugh out of me, like that joke's not going to stay in the test of time. And that's fine. Like that's any movie. Um, but no, it was a lot of fun. I loved that they went balls out and, you know, killed some kids. Always a good thing yeah. in my book. Um, yeah. working in daycares for 10 plus years. Ugh, give me more. Um, so I watched Cooties like that. Uh, I, Deathgasm, loved, really loved yes. it. Um, Tales of Halloween, really loved it as well. Um, but I think I loved it for a lot of different reasons. Um, as a whole, as an anthology, I thought that each segment was bringing something very interesting to the table. I loved that each segment was kind of writing a love letter to all of the different aspects that make Halloween such a great holiday. Um, you know, candy or decorations or, you know, family, you know, being genuinely scared, horror, whatever, like all of those factors were really nice. Um, but I loved that it was an anthology where all of the directors were genuinely making the movies that they wanted to make. Because I think all too often people get so hung up on like trying to outdo each other that the entire anthology as a whole suffers. Um, I feel like that sometimes with, you know, like the ABCs of death films, it just seems, especially in the second one that, you know, a lot of people are just trying to outdo each other. Whereas Tales of Halloween feels very much like this is the movie Dave Parker wanted to make. And this is the movie Axel Carolyn wanted to make. And this is the movie Darren Lynn Bowsman wanted to make. And fuck it. That's what we wanted. Um, so that was really exciting because I think that it's so difficult for filmmakers to do that these days because they are. It feels you know, like, it feels like one movie by, you know, that, and that's yeah, the absolutely. About it. It's, it's very, yeah. it's coherent. Like it doesn't feel disjointed by any means, but it feels like, t- you know, a, 10, technically 11, very unique voices that are all kind of ex- coexisting in harmony. And I liked that. I also loved getting to see Paul Solit make a movie that he actually wrote again. Um, Cause yeah. I, I, th- I still think that grace is one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. I love that I liked, film. I like, I really liked dark summer, but you, I could tell where, you know, things were not his because he didn't write it, mm-hmm. but you know, the week and the wicked and tales of Halloween like that. Oh God, that is just some of the best storytelling I've seen all year. And it's 10 minutes long. So that was exciting to see again. Those are pretty much the major things that I saw. I mean, rewatched a bunch of other junk, binge watched Jane the Virgin, but that's not horror. Um, it's, it's telenovela though, which is pretty great. Um, but yeah, that was, that's pretty much all that's been on my doorstep. Oh, wait, one more thing. I don't even think that anyone in Cleveland listens to us, but if you do, for the love of God, go to the Blake Canvas Theater and watch Bad Boy the Musical. I have seen probably eight different productions of that show in my life. And the one that's going on in Cleveland right now is hands down the best production of Batboy I've ever seen. The special effects are crazy. The blood is everywhere. The music is fantastic. All of the actors are wonderful. It's, it is like the perfect Halloween thing to go see right now. If you're into live theater, it's fucking great. So that's my shameless plug. I'm not even in that show, and I want people to go see it because it's incredible. Awesome. And that's it. My doorstep is closed. 
Very cool. All right. Uh, I will go because I have one thing. Oh. I uh, I have a soft spot for Marcus Nispel. Nispel? Nispel? Marcus Nispel. I think uh, that uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the better remakes out there, and I really dug that flick. Um, I'm actually a fan of the Conan movie. Not a lot of people are. I thought it was fun. And he also did the Friday the 13th remake, which I thought was a, you know, pretty damn good remake. In its own whoa, right. whoa, Sean busting out the knowledge. And I even own Pathfinder, which is horrible, Ew. which is horrible, but I can't get myself to get rid of it for some reason because it makes me Ugh. laugh. It's not a good film, but well, at least you know that, but it gives me a semblance of joy for some reason, because it's so bad. There's some really horrible green screen work at the end of that movie. That makes me crack up. Anyways, but he's kind of been, hasn't been doing much since the Conan movie flopped. I mean, that thing did not do well for him. And so I was in Best Buy, and I saw this movie called Exeter, directed by Marcus Nisbell. And I was like, well, shit, I gotta watch this. So I, I grabbed it, and I finally watched it. And... You know, for what it is, I had fun with it. It's, 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 uh, teens are in a place where they shouldn't be. They have a party. One of the teens decides she knows how to levitate people. They do, she does this weird thing. And one of the kids gets possessed by a demon. That's your basic setup to the, to the plot. It's, it's almost like, eh, this movie would probably have done really well in the nineties, late nineties, cause I got like, I'm like, all these kids probably listen to Slipknot or Insane Clown Posse. Like, you get that kind of vibe from the, from all the kids, all the teenagers. Okay, people that listen so, to Slipknot did not listen to ICP. Okay, I'm just, you know, I'm broad generalization. I'm just saying, that's here. unfair. I would say ICP, Cottonmouth Kings. There you go. Okay, and who, what, what was the band, uh, that Rob Zombie's mm-hmm. son was in? Rob Zombie's son, you mean his step, his, uh, like half brother? Something. Power Man 5000. Power Man 5000. All these hey, kids listen to Power Spider Man 5000. Spider 1, dude. Spider 1. So, you're basically talking about kids who are really into the Little Nicky soundtrack. Yes. So that's, uh, imagine it. all these teenagers Mall or court. whatever are, <laughs> are Mall basically, X-Core. they decide to go to a rundown building party. They're, Partying in this building, they're all dirty because the place is so dirty. It's ridiculous. Uh, one of the characters has cheese puffs glued to his back for most of the movie, and they never fall off or get crushed. Well, that's just my Tuesday night, so. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one criticism of the film that I had. But uh, as a whole, like, I think it's a pretty entertaining flick. It's on. You made it sound pretty entertaining. It's on I will Netflix. It's on Netflix. The gore is awesome there are some great kills in it there's one of my favorite gore gags of the year in it i don't want to spoil it but it's Mm. pretty awesome and i think most of the gore looks looks uh it it does not look cg it looks practical so in that sense like you know it's a pretty decent exorcism type flick um stephen lang is in it briefly but of course he's he's always badass and uh i would say you know it's streaming on netflix if you see it and you're interested i would say give it a shot but uh, I had some fun with it. But it's Marcus Nisbell, so your relationship with his movies kind of go in based on, I guess, your previous uh, relationships with his films. But I think, you know, I would like to see him continue with more horror stuff because I, th- I think he gets it. He just needs a good script, and I think he writes most of his own scripts. So I don't think he- I think he needs to get a good screenwriter 
to bounce the stuff off. So I think that's the main thing that he's uh struggling with. But Exeter is what I watched. Hmm. Boom. I'll give it a shot. <clears throat> give it a shot. I would love to hear Brad's thoughts on it too. Uh I'll watch it soon. Um I uh had a couple things, a few things. Um last a couple episodes ago I talked about um uh, the Wife Killer by Mondo Macabro, uh, which I did not really care for at all. Um, and I, I got around to the, the other film that they released, uh, Tango of Perversion, which I thought, I got this movie, I have this movie mixed up with something else. Um, cause when I turned it on, I was like, wow, I've never seen this before. But just, I don't know, it's just so fucking trashy. And it's, it's just not a good movie and it's very on the lines of just being just violent for violent for no reason like the wife killer with with women and i don't know it's just like there's literally a scene in the film where the guy just keeps like slapping the woman like backhanding her for no apparent reason just like during conversation it's just very like unsettling and i i don't know if i'm just I don't know. It's just, it's just a, it, it seems like just like a piss poor movie of, you know, wanting to try to be violent, violent, for violent for no reason. Uh, I mean, it's 1973 and it's Greece, so I don't know what the fucking, you know, Greek, you know, uh, you know, filmmaking was like in the 70s. I don't know if it was all like this, but th- these are two films that go hand in hand with just being violent for no reason, it seems with minimal story and just sex and slapping. So it's just another, like I've always liked Mondo Macabro, but these last two releases have just kind of been really blah, hmm. you know, like what, you know, I'm glad they're getting, you know, they're getting out there, but I just don't see why, you know, yeah. I, I don't see the calling for these films. Is there a group of people that really like these like, overly violent uh movies yes well yes there are there are yeah it's it's terrifying but they do exist like those are the people that comment on our site they're comment on my site comment on your site comment on everybody's sites talking about how you know there wasn't enough rape in a film or there wasn't (laughs) enough this like those people like we laugh at it but like it's fucking serious i mean people are violence like one gore I can see, but there's none of that in there. It's just, it's just like watching like a like a roughie from like seventies or something, you know, like an old, old porno roughie, where it's just like it's just uncomfortable. Like there's no enjoyment out of anything. Well, it's I don't know. it's it's also you have to take into account when you're watching it. I mean, we're now I think a lot smarter as a society and more in tune with like, hey, that's fucked up. Whereas, you know, back then, I don't think that, you know, people got away with so much more because there wasn't this sense of responsibility or, you know, acknowledgement that, like... <laughs> Maybe you didn't have anybody to answer to, you know, right. as well. Yeah. We didn't like, have online no blatant... forums and, you know, pitchforks. If we don't like something, we're going to harass you on fucking Twitter email you. I mean, it's fucking, yes. fucking Greece. You're never going to contact that filmmaker to begin with. Yeah, exactly. No, that's yeah. that's exactly what it is. There's, just, no, just there's no accountability. You know, so, I mean, it takes a lot for me to say, ugh, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, 
whatever. It's not very good. I, I, I'm really excited to see, you know, they're doing the, um, uh, was it Lizard, uh, the Fulci, the yeah, Fulci film. Uh, they're, they're, the woman uh, with the lizard skin or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm excited about that, but um, I don't know. Maybe more Giallo films rather than punching movies. Um, next, I was so wanting to see this, but I, I watched the, the Curse of Downers Grove and so many jokes with the title, <laughs> but Brett Easton uh, Downers Ellis, Grove is a real place. You know that, right? Yeah, I understand. Yeah, no, I okay. know that, but I'm saying <laughs> that the, the movie itself, like, is a downer. <laughs> that was, it was supposed to be my joke, BJ, but you ruined it. Um, <laughs> I did. It's fine. But I really like Brett Easton Ellis. I, I, I love, I love his books. Um, and you know, a, anytime there's adaptation, I, I dig it. But he, he wrote this, um, screenplay based off a, a book, uh, from another author. And it's just, I, I want to call this movie Facebook the movie because these motherfuckers talk about Facebook so goddamn much in this movie. It's so irritating. I know that's a weird thing to pick out of reviewing, reviewing a movie, but I think there's that sense of when you talk about the now, of things, your movie is categorized in a time. Like, it's like if we had a movie that talked about, you know, maybe in like 2005 the movie came out, all they would fucking talk about is MySpace. We watch it now, some people aren't going to know what the fuck MySpace is. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, Facebook yeah, isn't going to be one of those things around forever. Yeah. You know, there's going to be something else that pops up. Google Plus is going to come around eventually, but as a joke. Um, but I don't know. It's just a really. It's just a really odd movie to the point of, you know, there's obviously a curse in Downers Grove where, uh, where these people are dying. And it's just a group of teens dealing with uh, another, like, overly obsessed dudes wanting what they want. And if I can't have what I want, I'm going to be a total fucking dick through the whole movie. It's just it, – I guess it's a kind of a unique take on, you know, relationships and and men. Uh more or less boys in the sense of just, have you seen this BJ? No, not yet. Or read, I mean, or read the um, novel. No, I'm interested, but yeah, I, I no kind of want to read the novel to see exactly what they pulled out. Um, I mean, cause obviously it's based on a true story and it's just, you know, these, these group of kids just kind of overcoming this curse. That's that they believe it's a curse in, in the town for, and just trying to, I don't know. I don't want to give anything away, but it, it does the last 30 minutes. I will say it did pick up. There's some shotgun violence that is pretty fucking epic, which I did not expect to see. Um, it's all about that. Some, unexpected uh, shotgun good... violence. <laughs> well, sure. dude, though, the shotgun shit is <laughs> fucking awesome. Like when the shotgun comes out, I'm like, no way <laughs> we're not going to start shooting people with shotgun. Cause that's insane. But yeah, no, it's it, that part's a lot of fun. It was just I was expecting a little bit more. I mean, because the violence is there that Easton Ellis has, because he has this he has this way of taking kind of the culture of the now, which I guess that's why he talks about Facebook. I don't know. I don't know if the book talks about Facebook. I just thought it was weird because it's it's one of those things where they mention it quite a bit, like the party, kind of the social hangout, how they communicate all through Facebook. So they keep talking about it. And it just really pulls you out of the film because it makes you giggle. 
I just thought it was a weird, but I, I know Easton Ellis likes to take kind of what's happening in the now and kind of play that because he's very, you know, diverse with, with cultures and, you know, just, just personalities and people. But I, I don't know. It's a little, little upsetting. I, maybe I was thinking, you know, I was going to get fucking American Psycho or Rules of Attraction or something. But, um, next, I was joking with Sean when I said, Pay the Ghost is the best movie ever. <laughs> of course you were. Of course <laughs> but, you were. But some people took me seriously on, on Twitter, though. <laughs> I watched Nicolas Cage's horror film, Pay the Ghost. I don't know what to say other than this is a fucking Nicolas Cage movie <laughs> um, that has to deal with Halloween, which is super cool. Nicolas Cage has kind of been a horror film that's based around Halloween where there's these missing children that happen, uh, you know, all over. Uh, it's, um, I guess they're, I think they're in, I think they're in New York. Um, he's at a, he's at, at a Halloween carnival out in the middle of the, you know, in the middle of the street, hanging out with this kid. Um, he gets some ice cream and this kid disappears. And then, uh, you know, he searches for his child for an entire year and the movie really kicks into gear coming around, you know, October 29th. He's, he's still trying and he's going to the police station, still questioning, you know, the detective trying to give him clues of maybe where, you know, investigate this, you know, child abductor, this person that's being, you know, has a red flag on him, you know, try to really get out there. He's trying to be his own detective. And then he comes across seeing that there all these past few years, like past five years, there are children that abduct that are abducted on Halloween that haven't been found. Some of these other kids abducted at other times or lost or, you know, whatever they've been found. But specifically, there's like four kids every Halloween that disappear and they can't find. Um, and that's kind of where this movie leads is this underground type world that exists that is just fucking insane and i it feels like nicholas cage wrote the fucking movie <laughs> like you know just the insanity did. of nick cage yeah i don't know but anyways it's it's a really insane movie it's it's partially fun uh nicholas cage is a blast like he usually is because he has that overacting that happens again but in this one, it works just because the movie's actually like uh, things that happen are insane. So it really works. It's like his performance in Wicker Man. I don't know if that helps. <laughs> so I need to uh, see it. <laughs> yes, it's it's going to be one of those things where it's memorable just because of Nicolas Cage's performance. And it's not that bad of a movie, but it's just really bizarre. Oh, um, I can't wait how to watch it. Now. And yeah, how it unfolds and kind of the surprises that it has it's just not your normal like you know halloween disappearance it's not your normal like kidnapping disappearance flick there's there's a big you know supernatural aspect to it which is pretty cool sweet um and another thing i got around to i i can't uh speak on the whole uh series but i I started watching My Favorite Martian, and there's this kind of story behind it because my uh, great grandfather would always talk about this show, and like it would be in the middle of a fucking dinner conversation, and he would, someone would say something, and he'd be like, "Oh, like My Favorite Martian," and it was just <laughs> like everybody would just kind of like shrug it off, like fucking crazy grandpa. But it was one of those things where I never watched the show, and I, recently it's it, it, the 
full series got released by MPI and I, I picked up a copy and I, I started watching it and I don't know. It's, I wouldn't say it's a good show. Maybe it's just not my speed because it's, you know, from 19 fucking like 65 or something, maybe, maybe later, 63, 64. So way before my time. Um, but I don't know. The comedy's there. I, I think I have a, a different aspect because I'm, you know, trying, you know, I'm trying too hard to probably remember what my grandfather said, but it was one of his favorite shows. So I wanted to give it a shot. It's if somebody hasn't watched it, it's basically this um, this guy, this Martian that crash lands. Uh, this character Tim kind of takes him in. Tim's the only one that knows his secrets, just because the Martian doesn't want to set out panic uh, with everybody. So he has like these little he can do he can be invisible. He has like these little antennas that pop up from his head. He doesn't look like an alien; he just looks like a normal dude in a green suit. Um, I mean, it's fucking sixties. What do you want? So, like, I don't know. It, it's cute. It's quirky. It definitely has its moments. Um, has anybody seen My Favorite Martian? No. No? Not yeah, the whole it, thing. <laughs> I, I mean, you've seen some of it, though, right? Yeah, my, I've watched some of it with my dad, but I've, I've never seen, like, all of it. I've seen, like, an episode here or there. Yeah, I mean, it has that it has that quirkiness quality that, that um, you know, that just that humor that Dick Van Dyke has, the Munsters, the Adams family. It just has that kind of slapstick, you know, hokey like that wink. good clean family fun. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, exactly. You know, I love Lucy. Um so it was one of those things that I used to watch all those shows like at Nick at Night when I was younger. I would watch the Monsters and, you know, um I love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke. I think all three of those were on, you know, Brady Bunch Stuff like that. This is one show I wish that was in that kind of, you know, that mashup. Because I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Now watching it, I, I don't know. I, it just doesn't appeal to me as much. I don't know if it's because I was a kid and I thought I was discovering something new. But um, I don't know. It, it's definitely it's definitely a unique show and, you know, humorous at times. So anybody that has parents that watched it, pick it up. If you like quirky comedies from the you know tv shows from the 50s and 60s and it's definitely right up your alley nice all right well let's uh let's get the final girls guys on on the line and have a talk with them hey man that guitar is choice thanks blake bitch and hair <laughs> okay so we're in the movie uh, how do we get out of here yeah i like that question that's a really really good question duncan can you answer that question please uh what are you talking about it's 1986. Our homes don't exist yet. They're probably just landfills waiting to be turned into crappy subdivisions. We don't exist yet. I know for a fact my parents haven't met because I was an unplanned child. Anyone want to help me pick some strawberries? Nope. But I'll give you a hand with those melons. Talking about her boobs. You guys get me, right? Yeah, we do, brother. <laughs> Kurt is... Insatiable. Um, okay, so Mimi's in the woods. That means everything is right on schedule. She hooks up with that hiker. But then she gets killed, right? Yeah, exactly. Everyone who has sex in this movie dies. It's awesome. I got into <laughs> bodybuilding big time. Yeah, so. oh my God, can I touch it? Yeah, touch it. Oh, wow. Touch it. The backside's just as hard. Touch the backside. Oh my God. That's right. Everyone. Well, today's guest on the show, um, 
we have the writers for The Final Girls. It's out on VOD right now. Limited theatrical run from what I'm uh, aware of. But we have Mark Furton and Josh Miller. What's up, guys? Hello. Hello. Brad uh, has been working to get uh, you guys on the show, and uh, so I'm going to turn it over to to Brad here. Yeah, so um, you guys definitely should rent The Final Girls, and if it's playing in your area, I suggest going to see it because it is kind of a big like it feel it is kind of a theater film i i saw it at south by southwest when it played and definitely by far now were you guys at the south by southwest screening first uh i was josh was not able to be there okay um it's just far as like if anybody wants to kind of visualize i mean south by southwest huge huge festival um this played at the Paramount, which was, you know, a huge theater there, which is also kind of a really cool theater because it's, you know, old and shit like that. And, you know, it's just it has just that, you know, kind of welcoming feel, just how it's all set up and everything. Like, so this movie only screened one time, which was kind of bizarre um, because it kind of appeared out of nowhere. It wasn't on the midnight lineup, but it was, you know, kind of horror comedy. So I was kind of weirded out that it was only playing once and sometimes when things play once it's not the greatest thing because they just they don't want it to get out too much if it's if they think it's a bad film so just kind of going into it i was like okay i'm gonna give it a shot it's playing one time it's, i don't know when i'm gonna get to see it again so i'll do it and i fucking get there and the line is so wrapped around the building it's filling up and it was definitely one of those films that you it feels like you're at the theater as a kid again. Like if you went to this, if you went to the, you know, movies in the eighties and, and shit like that, you, yeah, the people cheering, clapping. I mean, that's mostly how it is at festivals. It was just such a welcoming audience. Like, how did you, how did you react towards? Cause I mean, it got, it was extremely well received at South by Southwest. Now, was that the premiere for it as well? Yes, it was. Okay, so how what was your feeling on that? Just having that audience, just because I, I was there, and it was just it was just a blessing to watch. A, a de- first saw a decent film, a really good one, and a lot of fun, and just having audience reaction. Uh, yeah, no, it was. Um, well, first, uh, glad you glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, it was it was complicated. I mean, I had you know I, I can't speak for Josh, but um, you know I had definitely a complicated relationship to the movie, at least in terms of, uh, you know, when you spend years and years working and developing something and it actually becomes something and it's your first time experiencing seeing it, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a mind fuck because, uh, you know, you're, at least for me, I, I end up seeing like things that I want to change as opposed to things, you know, just like experiencing it as a movie. So, um, I was frankly pretty nervous. Um, Josh uh, was not able to go to the festival because we had another work commitment, so we were dividing and conquering. But uh, if you want to know the kind of person Josh is, um, he had contacted my dad to surprise me in Austin when I got there. Uh, And, um, you know, my dad was the person that I went to the movies with um, when I was growing up and uh, is, you know, in no small part, you know, like the reason many ways why I, I do what I do. And, um, so I was really nervous when we sat down to watch the movie, especially since it was packed and there was clearly a, a great deal of anticipation on the part of the people who'd showed up. And, um, 
about yeah. 10 minutes into the movie, I look at my dad and he's just levitating. Like he's laughing his ass off and he's having the best time. And I realized, oh, the movie doesn't really belong to me or Josh or anybody anymore. It's just, it's out there. And so that was like the first time that I could really have fun with it, frankly. And, um, and so, uh, it was kind of, uh, kind of, um, I don't know, it was a surreal night because, uh, Overall, the the reception to the movie at South by was was so loving and so um, so generous and warm. And that was it was a really wonderful thing. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it was um, it was just nice to to see something because it it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, we didn't have much of a trailer. We didn't know much about the film. So seeing going into something so blindly and seeing how you know everybody's showing up for. You know, I mean, mainly, you know, a lot of it was with just the one screening. People wanted to know what this movie was. You know, why is it only screening once at the Paramount? What do we, you know, what to expect? Um, so it was uh, nice and refreshing. Now, for Josh, like, when did you uh, get uh, see it with a bigger audience? Oh, gosh. The, I mean, I, the first time I saw it was a rough cut in... Atlanta, Georgia, it was just Mark and I watching it, which I do not recommend seeing a rough cut on your own like <laughs> three at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, it, it can get really depressing. You know, I, I think it's it, – because it, nothing is ever as bad as the first cut. You know, you're, you're taught as a, as a filmmaker to just, you know, uh, try to put your first impressions to the side and – and hope for the best as you as you move forward and cut. But I think definitely there was uh, the first time I saw it with a big audience. So when I first saw it, I was a bit like shell shocked, right? But not surprised because, like Mark said, you envision a movie a particular way, and then a director sort of takes it into their hand, does some of their own rewriting, you know, changes tone. There was a lot of demands from the studio. We wrote a very hard R. It was turned into a PG-13 movie for marketing sake, which I think is was sort of ass backwards, to be honest. There we go. There we go. <laughs> that was one Sean's problem with the movie. I was so, so nervous to say anything about, about it. Bit. No, no. I saw on Twitter that you didn't really care for it, so it's cool. <laughs> uh, you know. All right, no, 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 no. Continue. Continue. Sorry it's, about that. It's gonna be. It's gonna be something. To, it's gonna be a really fun conversation because I mean, I wasn't. I, I didn't know the backstory about how the writing process went in the original, kind of how you guys envisioned it from script to screen. Because number one, I mean, the director that they got, well, you know, did a did a bang up job. I thought. I mean, I, I truly love the film. And, um, you know, seeing from, you know, a guy that's directed Harold and Kumar do, you know, kind of this slasher, like 80s throwback, I wanted to know how much would have changed because it, it seems that the film could have went there. It didn't, which I thought was interesting. And, um, you know, I, I did enjoy that aspect to it, but now I kind of want to see the hard R version. Well, I mean, there, there, I mean, the, the, the bottom line is there isn't, there is no hard R version that was shot because, you know, the studio had demanded it to be. Yeah. 13 because they were they were sort of thinking on the heels of Carrie tanking that somehow they equated Carrie being bad with kids not wanting to see R-rated horror movies which is an asinine sort of uh, perspective of course people didn't want to go to Carrie for a multitude of reasons but mostly because they knew it was shit 
And so the the problem is, is that as writers, there's very little sort of there's very little you have power you have once you sign your screenplay over to a studio. I mean, they're as you know controlling sort of the destiny of it. So you kind of just have to sort of stand by in the, in the margins and and watch it sort of go through whatever kind of journey it's going to have. And and then you just try to be as supportive as you can, and you kind of you just try to push for as much to salvage from your original vision to get to the screen. And that was not an easy task because Mark and I have a very specific sensibility that is very gruesome, very gory, very violent, and much darker than what was eventually executed. So, but we're not the directors. We will be directing our own horror movies next. And I think that, you know, it'll be an opportunity to bring to the world actually our more specific vision, obviously. But at the same token, you have to embrace what, has become of your original idea. Yeah. Otherwise you're just like a, a bitter person sitting in your home in Hollywood and just <laughs> kind of complaining about everything, which believe me, I do a lot of, but, well, you know, that, being, but that being said, it, it, you just have to embrace what it is. And yeah. the fact that a lot of people have responded to, to it positively has been uh, something that's been remarkable. I mean, whether it's... And a happy ending, really. I mean, you know... Yeah. I mean, look, you've got Stephen King tweeting about how much he loved it. You've got... Yeah, I saw that. You know, you've cool. got Quentin Tarantino at the opening night, who I've since befriended after he saw the movie because he thought it was so much fun and he was moved by it and he wanted to watch The Exorcist with me, which we can go into later. <laughs> next. Nice. And so, and so, which we eventually did last weekend. But I think the thing is, is that it's uh you kind of have to just be like politically savvy in how you navigate these kind of things and you know am i are are we completely happy with the movie the way it is we're happy with our original vision and we're happy to see it in the world but we would like we look forward to the opportunity to make our own movies mm-hmm. very soon I'll, let I mean, that let that speak for everything you know you know what's yeah. interesting though is like to me it's like less about the violence and more about like the sunniness of the movie i mean like there's i'm torn about the violence part like did we write a hard r yes absolutely but at the same token some point in me like at some point when i started looking at the movie from like you know an actual movie and not just some sort of like you know crazy ass thing in in our heads I, I, you know, it was like, well, what is this movie really about? And in the end, it wasn't a movie about violence. It was about, you know, death and letting go and mm-hmm. about sort of like what, what it means to literally hack your way through grief so you can come out on the other side, you know? And and so, like, I don't know. Like, I, I go back and forth. Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I, I, I wish it was hyper-violent. And then there's another part of me that's like, no, maybe it's okay that it's not hyper-violent. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there, there was there was definitely a, a, a darkness to the original um, uh, vision of this of this movie that is not there now. And, you know, has it made made it more accessible? You know, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I think, I think, um, I think it's alienated certain horror uh Fans, I think there's certain horror fans who are not as um, sort of uh, stringent about what they think slasher cinema needs to be, uh, and they've embraced it. Um, you know, I, I guess time will tell. Really, yeah. I mean, I think I think ultimately, though, you know, what happens is you start to almost have is what is it, Stenhall syndrome? Stenhall syndrome. Yes. Yeah, wait, Stenhall no, wait. Stenhall syndrome is when you love. No, that's a- <laughs> Stockholm. You're held captive. What is that called? Stockholm. Oh, Stockholm. Stockholm syndrome. Sorry. Sendall syndrome is a Dario Gento movie. <laughs> like, what will happen is, is that you'll be a writer and you'll get Stockholm syndrome because you're surrounded by all these executives and producers and directors and people, and they just keep, like, telling you that this is what you have to do to make the movie good, and you start believing it. 
I've never believed that it should have been a PG-13 movie, ever. Uh, I have never bought into that approach, and I never will. But that still does not change the fact that it is what it is, and we have want to support the movie because we think there's a lot of really special things about it, and it is unique, and there isn't anything like it yeah. out there, really. So it's just been kind of an interesting journey, like, watching it. I mean, to answer your question, when I first watched it with a the theater... It was at a film festival, not at Toronto, but when it was playing in L.A. at a film festival. And it was a very tough audience because there was a lot of older people in the industry. And there was there was a lot of support and a lot of sort of people who just didn't get it because they wanted it to be a lot more violent as well. So it was a, it was a mixed bag. But, but then there are people who are sort of obsessed by it and fell in love with it and sort of are treating it like this strange cult artifact already. And that's interesting. So I think movies which you can't define and you can't categorize fall into like the cult category. So I think mm-hmm. maybe the movie will have like a life that way. That's cool. You know, yeah. the, the, oh, sorry, BJ. BJ. Oh, sorry. No, I was gonna say. Um, well, you kind of nailed it when you said that there's really not like nothing else that's like it. And I think that the PG-13, while it might not have been something that you wanted, um, a happy accident kind of comes out of it in that. You've created, to my knowledge, the only real coming-of-age horror film that girls can identify with. Hmm. I mean, this is a movie that I would have killed for when I was 15. Like, it would have changed everything for me. Um, And, like, I'm surrounded by kind of the boys' club of horror, and everyone always talks about, like, what it's like to be a kid and watching Gremlins and Monster Squad, and girls don't have that. And now something exists that like future generations of girls that are into like slasher films like I was can have something to identify with that like makes them feel like they're cool and justified for liking what they like and not isolated. And I think that putting it in that, like that PG 13, like kind of transitionary world. I mean, you might not see the impact right away, but down the line, Oh my God. Yeah. This is going to be a film that's revisited by people who were like me growing up for years to come because it's the only one that exists. So this is the one that we're all going to like shove to our daughters and nieces, you know, the second that they're old enough to handle the blood and whatever, we're going to be like, check this out. And it's going to change their fucking lives. So um, it's that like, was, so you're saying the wizard of Oz. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> it's like beaches for slap. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> no, no um, like, but like, no place like, well, like, grow, like, you know, I just know growing up, I would watch things like the Monster Squad. I'm like, oh, this is fun. This is definitely more, you know, geared towards the guys than it is the girls. But this is fun. Whereas, like, the final girls very much feels like, no, this is my territory. Like, this is something that I can hold sacred. And, like, that's all I could think about watching it was like, oh, my God, if only I had this movie when I was 12. Like, this would have been fucking great. Um, so while it may not, you know, appeal to kind of the older audiences, if they don't get it, fuck them, you're too old. Um, but like, it's going to have a life that's going to last so much longer than a lot of the ultra violent films that we watch today, which don't get me wrong, I love them, but they're not things that I'm going to revisit that I'm going to, you know, introduce to my, you know, family. Whereas this is something that like, I'm going to keep showing people for years to come the way that I show people gremlins because it's got that kind of an impact. Oh, well, that's awesome. Amazing. That is, <laughs> that is pretty much like the, the look, I mean, you know, it, it, the making, making anything is always like a, a crazy, 
um, up and down kind of uh, roller coaster, like bullet train to hell and back uh, kind of experience. <laughs> but like, you know, no matter what, like kind of mixed feelings or kind of like, gee, what's that like kind of thing, uh, you know, that we have about the experience. I got to say, when I hear something like that, I know, I know that I can, I think I can speak for both of us, BJ, or that, that, that kind of response really makes, makes everything worth it. Because at the end of the day, I remember, you know, Josh and I have said this to each other before. It's like, and when we had moments where we were like, we don't know what this is going to turn out like. This is either going to be like something that like certain, a certain segment of people treasure, or it's going to be like the most insane disaster ever. (laughs) And like, and we were like, look, if this can just be like a movie that like, you know, teenage girls want to pass down through slumber parties and it's like a gateway drug to horror for them, then awesome. You know what I mean? Oh, and, and it totally is. It totally is. And you know what? Look, you know, regarding the R, you know, sometimes we just think to ourselves, well, listen, you know, if we ever become like culty enough, like wet, hot American summer or something to get like a latter day, you know, kind of sequel or whatever, you know, then, you know, maybe they'll go from final girls to final women and they'll, uh, they'll <laughs> graduate to an R. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think it's been interesting because, you know, one of the things about movies is that it just has a, there's a strange alchemy that goes on. I remember as an actor, I used to, I did a lot of bunch of like indie movies in the late eighties, early nineties, and people would see screenings of some of the movies I did. And then they would go, oh, this is a piece of trash, you know, and like, <laughs> or what the fuck? Did your own stepbrother, like, you, you guys went to, like, one of your, like, a classic movie you made. Um, not, J- not Jason, but, no. yeah, a different brother. He, he, I mean, I remember, like, and I made, I would say, some classic staples of that era. And people, like, shat all over them when they first came out. And, I mean, I remember Near Dark, which I think is, like, one of the best vampire oh, movies Oh, so ever. brilliant. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, directed by one of, I think one of the great filmmakers, you know, it's, I just remember like the reviews that came out about that movie were awful, 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 awful. I mean, we've gotten better reviews than your dark did when it came out. And yet, you know, here, what X amount of years later, you know, it's being played at the museum of modern art. It's being played at Lincoln center. You know, it was, the at, the Louvre. It was at the Louvre. Oh, it was at the we Louvre. There, when we were yeah, We just happened to be in Paris at the Louvre and they're screaming. <laughs> There was a huge poster of it in the lobby. We were, I mean, like, struck dumb. It's become now, like, an art piece. So I just go, you know, who the hell knows, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you just don't know. It, it's it's uh, it's all contingent on timing, the culture, the zeitgeist. I don't know. But hearing what you said, you know, BJ was incredibly kind and supportive. And I think you're probably right. You know, Kevin Williamson wrote us a note about the movie, and it was quite a beautiful note, and especially coming from someone who wrote sort of created the mold for a meta horror. And he said he predicted that this would be a horror classic and be watched every Halloween. And I would, we were like, holy shit, you know, that guy has like definitely has a good sense, a barometer of what people like and don't like. So it meant the world to us. And, you know, hopefully, you know, the the world, the, the movie does have a long life. That would be, that would be amazing. I think it was, Oh, go ahead, Sean. You haven't really said anything. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, you know, I was just going to kind of just piggyback off of what BJ was saying, because one of the strongest things that I um, reacted to in the script was the mother-daughter relationship, was that opening scene with the mother and daughter and and what transpires after that, and then her seeing uh, her mother again was a really like poignant moment for me. I mean, I've I've dealt with a lot of, just this month I've dealt with some death... uh, recent deaths uh with a friend of mine and, and things like that and it's like um and october is a weird month for me i don't want to 
my my brother-in-law passed away like six years ago. So every October we celebrate Halloween and this type of stuff. So it's, you always think in your head, like when you have dealt with this type of grief, like what would it be like if you see them again, you know, and, and what would that be like? And here in the context of a mother and daughter, like that was a huge thing, I think. And I, I really liked that aspect of the film. Um, and that I think above anything else really stuck with me and would get me to watch this again. Like I always say like, you know, I can have an immediate reaction to a film, but then I can watch it two months later, or a year later, and have a totally different reaction. Um, so I'm not I'm not one, not one who writes off films, but um, but that no, I, I, you're not you're not wrong about that. I mean, I think that is the strongest aspect yeah. of the movie, and I think what's interesting when Quentin saw the movie and we were talking after, I could tell that he really connected to those aspects of mm. the movie. That's where he felt like the DNA of it was, mm. what he felt was a strong suit basically. And, and that was what, that was always sort of our, our, our vision for it. That was not easy to fight for. There were a lot of opportunities originally bought the script. It was our first feature script together. Todd was attached and they, they very much in my experience, did were threat were, were threatening the, the the core of the movie, which was that relationship. And I remember mm. there were a lot of opportunities where that relationship could have really been compromised in favor of sort of the broad comedic uh, horror set pieces, which we really like basically laid down on the tracks and fought to keep. And I think in many ways, thank God, you know, it's still there. I mean, look to, to Todd's credit, he also believed in those elements. But, you know, once again, it's that whole Stockholm Syndrome. You've got all these people like executives and all these people that just get in your head and you start to believe really bad notes because, <laughs> you know, everyone's just trying to keep the mediocrity machine going and it's just bullshit. You know, that's everyone just wants to keep their job. They don't want to take risks. They don't want to take – they don't want – you know, they didn't want to make this movie because they didn't think girls were going to go to horror movies. They oh, wow. didn't think a movie – out girls was going to really matter to anyone and uh, like you're no it's especially the female relationship who wants to go see a movie about a mother and a daughter yeah and and only people want to see uh found footage movies yeah now. can max be a little older and instead of her dead mother can it be like a guy she's in love with so it's the note you know <laughs> oh, that gross. kind of shit <laughs> wow that's so, so infuriating <laughs> well look that that relationship's the heart and soul of the film and it takes it ta- uh, it it it's the. I remember there was an executive whose idea was to basically, when Max gets out of the movie, her mother's alive, but because she saved her mother in the movie, she's now an Oscar winning actress. <laughs> oh my God. And we're like, dude, it's not a time travel. Like, you can't have the movie in the past affect the future. Sure. Like what? Are, like what did you read? You yeah, this is the Back <laughs> to the Future. This is not Back to the Future. <laughs> it was just. This has more in line with the movie, like Last Action Hero, if anything. Um, except like a yeah. You know, d- d- was that better, was that on purpose or was that uh, just you know, you know, getting sucked into a movie? Which, the, the meta aspect of it. I mean, I think we both love Purple Rose of Cairo, and I think there's okay, a lot of okay. I think uh, the there's a lot of inspiration from. Those that movie specifically, okay. I think. Honestly, personally, my dad played the priest in The Exorcist. He played Father Karras. Obviously, I watched my father in The Exorcist growing up many, many times. So, 
the idea of having like a parent in a famous horror movie was mm-hmm. just something, an idea that Mark and I were very drawn to and what was sort of the implications of then losing your parent and, and, but yet them being sort of immortalized forever in, in celluloid. And what if you happen to fall back into that celluloid? So it was always deeply rooted in personal dynamics. And we used to actually tell people it was Terms of Endearment meets Friday the 13th. And when we were in meetings, people thought we were absolutely crazy. And I mean meetings at studios pitching this movie. But then they would read the script, and they would fall in love with it. I mean, Final Girls opened all the doors for us in terms of like, yeah. meetings in the, the town and getting jobs and stuff. Paul yeah. Feig had gotten a hold of it, and he loved it. And I think at one point he wanted to direct it, but then he gave us another job to write something for him. Like It was just one of these things where Final Girls was the skeleton key to like get our career started in film. And so That's if awesome. only that, it was amazing. And that was our hard argument. <clears throat> Yeah. yeah. No, I mean that's 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 uh, it's quite the. I mean, it's quite the history of the film, which I was not expecting. So it's, you know, just keep talking, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, I, I think I think it's special because, um, you know, when I saw it, the the first the first two films that came to mind was, was Scream and Cabin in the Woods, and you know, mm-hmm. it's it's like with, with this one, it feels like a you know kind of a holy trinity of these kind of fun, self-aware uh, horror films that, you know, we kind of all want to mention, you know, during watching a horror film, we mention something, what we would do, or we think what we would do. And, and we have these, like, you know, these three films of, like, why these things happen and just kind of just the fun and, you know, silly aspects of it, whether it was, you know, intentional or, you know, you know, one question I have getting to that is that how much, how much more comedy was was added to your film since it was a hard R, like you're saying? Was it still as much, you know, as much comedy with more bloodshed, or was it, you know, kind of held back a little bit? It was a lot of comedy with a lot of bloodshed, but it was more darkly serious. It was more seriously funny, more perverse. It was definitely more perverse humor. Mark's right. It, this, it definitely got a little bit broader in translation, but that's, you know. The original incarnation of Max's mom within the world of Camp Bloodbath was that Tina was play- was uh, the role that Amanda played, not Nancy. Um, so when Max got sucked into the movie and was like, oh, I'm going to try to save my mother from death in a way that I couldn't in real life, the, the big joke was was that in this movie her mother was like literally asking for it at every opportunity because her mother's playing the biggest you know, tramp in the movie, essentially. Um, and, you know, and the movie was much more about transformation at that time. Uh, Tina, so that the character of Tina through interacting with Max would like slowly realize like, you mean I don't have to take off my shirt? You mean I don't have to sleep with guys or flirt with them? Oh my God. This has been like, it was like this like revelation to her. And it was actually, there was like more of like a, um, an exchange like the Paula, the final girl, did not die right up top. What happened was was that slowly the two of them traded places. So Paula, the good girl, slowly would become like when she realized early on that she was going to have to fight this killer, she became sort of an alcoholic who's acting out, saying, "I'm not going to die a virgin. Like I'm not going to do this." And Tina, meanwhile, is like slowly becoming more human and become and, and more and more recognizably like the the person, the mother that Max lost. Um, that was a really gonzo version of, uh, the script. That was an early, early. that was very early. And, um, you know, the the problem with final girls and developing it, and we first started in 2009 was when we first started writing it. It was that it took a really long time because it was never a question of, 
oh, what do we do now with the story? It was a question of what do we lose? Because there were so many things and so many ideas and so many characters and possibilities because you're dealing with this elastic fictional world where you're bending and you're you're bending the rules of of cinema and what have you and you know you you just it was it was a whittling down process and you know Todd was Todd was very helpful with that certainly helping us focus it uh to a degree into something that was actually you know doable really all right, so uh, I'm, I'm familiar with uh, with Josh's uh, career, but it was one thing I had a question for Mark is that uh, number one, how did you get into uh, you know writing with Josh, and how do you know Josh, and what's your kind of your backstory? Uh, well, Josh and I met almost 12 years ago, uh, right after we both finished grad school. We met in, on a blind date in New York, and we've been together ever since. Um, we're actually together; we're a couple. Oh, um, oh. yeah. Uh, I can totally, I can totally tell by you guys is uh, how you guys interact with each other, finishing sentences, <laughs> and everything. I like it. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> yep, the gay, the gay. You know, the, the, what are you? What are you gonna do? Uh, <laughs> You're gonna go so, with it, man. <laughs> That's what yeah, do. yeah. No, this is this is like literally probably one of the best interviews we've ever had. This is this is awesome. No, keep going. <laughs> we never have fags on our show. <laughs> <laughs> This is awesome. Uh, I doubt that's what we uh, intended, but. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I mean, my my background was just, um, I'm from Montreal originally. I was born and raised in Canada. And um, I just grew up watching, uh, I mean, uh, horror movies were like a major, major, major part of my, um, my childhood. I... I was, um, you, you know, I mean, we've talked about this sometimes, you know, it's like, and the long story short is, you know, I think when you grow up gay in the 80s, uh, and you think that the second you touch someone else, you will get a disease and die, um, that is something that is really traumatic, it's mm-hmm. really, it's a profound fear to grow up with, and I think that's the reason why um, there are, so. I don't know if you guys know this or if you're around gay men who uh who are horror fanatics but um gay men who are horror fanatics are serious hardcore horror fanatics and for at least for me um growing up horror movies especially slasher movies since they're so coded as being about sex and sexual activity and punishment for sexual activity uh slasher movies were a serious serious uh they were just in heavy rotation for me growing up and so um, and, you know, of course I grew up watching, you know, movies that, you know, Josh was in and that his family was in, you know? So, um, when we met 12 years ago, it was a blind date and, uh, we just, and, and I guess we started writing together when it oh wasn't six years ago, seven six, years seven ago. years ago, something like that. So, um, and we were both writing, um, but just, uh, you know, doing separate things. And then one day Josh was like, Hey, let's try writing something together. And if we, you know, want to stab each other in the face, then we'll just we'll we'll pull the plug on it. And, um, and you know, we've been pretty much having fun with it ever since. And, you know, the final girls was really the very first actual honest to God, uh, film script that we, uh, that we wrote. Not to take too much of a, just to interject real quick. I think, yeah, there, there are like gay men who love war, but I also feel like, I feel like horror is, falls under the banner of like queer. And I don't mean, you know, obviously that doesn't have anything to do with sexuality. I think like uh, under the banner of queer to me is like 
goths, oddballs, mm-hmm. you know, geeks, whatever, anyone who's ever felt like, you know, outside the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like horror, horror movies and the culture surrounding it brings together people that are oddballs. And I think you find a sense of community of people that look like you or feel like you like, I mean, it was funny when we went to Comic-Con, we did a thing for final girls there last, uh, this last year. What was the panel called? Oh my God. It was hilarious. What was it? It was like, Oh, the oh. gay agenda. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was like, yeah, it was like the gay agenda, you know, queer, you know, queer theory and horror or something. And it was very like, I don't know. It was, it was, it was, no, it was uh, another name and I'm going to actually get it off of Facebook because it was so hilarious. <laughs> um, but, um, anyway, sorry, go ahead, Mark. Sorry. No, I mean, that's, that's, you know, uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, is that, wait, did I, did I answer the question? I think I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You answer the question. I mean, just to, just to kind of piggyback off what you said, I mean, we actually have, we actually have a few listeners, um, that are gay that they're actually very interactive with us and they're, and they're, you know, big fans of the show. Yeah, it also seems that you, yeah, I think what, uh, Jovi is one that always interacts with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's what? I said, Jovi, you rule. Yeah, Jovi yeah, no, t- totally. It's just like, those guys are always watching horror films, <laughs> you know, versus like some other people maybe want like one, one, uh, one here or there or some on the weekend. It's like every fucking night. So yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, well, that's, that's think, awesome. That's awesome that you guys nurture that, uh, that, you know, that, that segment of your audience as well, you know? Um, I think, you know, some of us, we grow up, uh, you know, you, you, depending on the environment you grow up in, if you're, you're growing up gay, I think that horror movies can be a real solace because they externalize the anxiety that you can feel in a general, in a general sense, uh, in your everyday life. And, um, and at least speaking for myself growing up, it was, it was weirdly therapeutic, you know, to watch, uh, you know, hulking supernatural monsters in masks, you know, chop up teenagers, you know, and like, <laughs> and to see, but, but like, it was about, you know, like, like the final girl, you know, sort of that we didn't sort of like fall on that by accident. I think, you know, the, the, the message of those movies is as Catholic churchy as, you know, a great deal of them are, you know, was the idea that, you know, yes, if you, you know, like bad things can happen to you if you're not careful, if you don't have your wits about you, if you think with your dick or your boobs or, you know, pussy instead of your head, you know what I mean? But if you keep your wits about you and you're careful and you, you know, make the right kinds of decisions, then there is a way out. You don't have to necessarily be part of the body count. And, you know, um, that, that was just for better or for worse. You know, that was a, that was a major part of, uh, of, you know, of, of my grow, my, um, uh, a ch- childhood slash teenhood. And, uh, you know, it definitely was a uh, part of the DNA that, you know, when, you know, Josh and I got together that ended up creating the final girls. Awesome. I think that that's, that's fantastic. I mean, uh, historically, I think horror has been, you know, it may not have always been overtly, but at least subtextually one of the more welcoming genres, you know, to those that are different, including, you know, gay people. I mean, you look at something like a, a Night Run on Street 2 or a Lost Boys and it's like, there's, it's all on Front Street, whether or not people want to say it's there or not. Whereas, you know, other genres were never, you know, quite as accepting or as open, um, of things that were, you know, outside of the norm. And I think that that's why horror brings together so many interesting and passionate and wonderful people because it's like the one place where we all have something. 
Yeah, I, I think that's 100% correct. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm, there's probably an exception to what I'm about to bring up, but I mean, I'm hard pressed to think of like a socially conservative figure in the horror world that's like, you know, really done extremely important work to the genre. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think right. it's, it's queer. It, horror is queer in the sense that, like Josh is saying, not necessarily sexual, but it's about looking at reality, looking at the world, looking at relationships and, you know, what it means to be alive and what it means to die from like a completely different perspective um, than the average person looks at it. So, you know, look, as far as I'm concerned, anybody who's really into horror is just above average intelligence, you know, <laughs> or at exactly. Least, at least is able to like is capable of like sort of, you know, like abstract thought in a way that, you know, the average person may not naturally gravitate to, um, you know, but but I'm just biased because all the people that I know are that are really into horror are um, are very interested and interesting people. So. Well, well, I think, you know, we're watching these movies because. Um, we, we like exploring, um, that side of things like, uh, what, what would we do if we're pushed to the limits? What would we do if we're faced with our own mortality? You know, yeah. cause we're, we're watching these movies being faced with, I mean, they're just characters, but we're still facing death and things that are more on, on the dark side uh, of things on every time we watch on these movies. And we want, we, we want to have dialogues about these things as, and we want to be scared and we want to be you know, to a certain extent, um, disgusted and, and we, but we also want to laugh at too, you know, there, there's all these things rolled into horror that I think puts it above any other genre. I mean, some people, like my, my, my wife's not into horror at all, mm. but she wants stuff that ends happy. And, and, you know, cause she's, this is just her personality. She doesn't like to explore that side of things. And, and it, it, it affects her differently, you know, but everyone's different, but people like, me and 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 I was a late bloomer with horror and and Brad and, and BJ like this these are the kind of the movies we gravitate to when we have a choice you know so I think we like exploring this type of stuff on well a daily I think basis. It, I think it I think it attracts people who are probably deeply philosophical because what is it the essence and DNA of like every horror movie of death right yeah so we're 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 basically confronting our fear our our you know our questions about death our all of that, our relationship to it. I mean, that's really like at the heart of it to me of a lot of horror movies. So I think that anyone who's willing to look at those ideas is, is, is not an idiot. It's someone who's like thinking deeply about the world around them. And I think that that's what makes, I mean, you definitely nailed it when you said it's, you know, something that's somewhat therapeutic in watching it. And I think that that's why the final girls is resonating so deeply with so many audience members because it's, it's an unfortunate and familiar feeling that many of us have of, you know, losing somebody and not knowing how to deal with it and how to grieve with it. And horror is really the only genre that allows us, you know, that kind of catharsis. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wrote a fans of the show may know it. Some of them may not, but like, um, like I'm a cancer survivor and I wrote about how getting through all of those treatments was very much, you know, watching kind of the, Schadenfreude or poetic justice that you find in horror films where, you know, good things are rewarded for, to good people and bad people are punished for being bad people. And not a lot of, you know, film genres really allow that. But then there's, there's something for everyone, whether it's, you know, you're struggling with your identity and then you can find a film where, you know, someone else is struggling with their identity to the point where, you know, it makes them crazy. And, you know, it's like a, 
over dramatic version of how you're feeling or, you know, losing a parent and not knowing how to get through that. Um, no one, no other genre really wants to explore those unfortunate realities that we all seem to have to deal with every day. And I think you're absolutely right that people who gravitate towards horror are understanding that, you know, there's different ways to get through it all and it's okay to be entertained by the process. Exactly. Well, the entertainment, I think it makes it palatable. Right. You know, to, yeah. to, to, but my favorite, my favorite thing was that once Mark said, is like, what's your, what, what's the horror movie you most hate? And then you said, stepmom. <laughs> Uh, that would be your idea of like a horror. Film. Yeah, and Todd, Todd interviews have been saying his his his, his favorite horror movie is Twenty Seven Dresses. Um, I mean, but those oh are movies, horror movies, in the sense of like they're movies with with no truth. They're just they're just lies, right? They're not they're not really dealing with anything on any deep philosophical way, but they're they're dressed and pretending to be something profound and and deep, and really all all, all they are are just studios pandering to uh, to uh, the audience. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I love about horror. It's not pandering. Well, the good horror is not pandering. It's it's punk. It's like it's not, yeah. it's it's great. Confronta- it's confrontational. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there, there's something bracingly honest about a slasher movie, and that. And maybe this weird fantasy where this unkillable thing is running around killing cardboard teenagers. But at the end of the day, like, life is a slasher movie, right? Nobody gets out alive. <laughs> but, he, you know, like, there are no final girls in life. It's just, like, we're all, you know what I mean? Like, the world is designed to kill you at some point. Not, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually. And, um... This is depressing. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know to you know and and that's amazing that you that you conquered cancer fucking go you that's amazing but like Thanks. you know but at the end of the day it's like you know the only way you could do it is get through it and you know same with you know max and final girls is like if the the movie the movie that she's trapped in is you know a metaphor for her grief the only way that she can sort of come out on the other side is to go through it is to face the feelings, face the fears, face her own, you know, sort of tenuous mortality so that, you know, she can, at the end of the day, you know, stand on her own two feet, so to speak. And, um, and, you know, that, that a lot of the movies, because they're uncomfortable, you know, were, were, you know, treated like forbidden fruit. I mean, when I was growing up, my parents wouldn't let me anywhere near that section of the video store, which is mm-hmm. what made it all the more attractive. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, that's why I think we we like horror because on a certain level, no matter how fantastic, it, you know the 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 movie itself may be, uh, there's something a little more honest about certain horror movies than a lot of other genres. That was a that was a yeah. long ass answer to a question, <laughs> but I like it a lot. Well, we're we're chatty, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, it's, it's, this it's is great. like the stuff that I thrive off of because. Yeah. But I'm not being a pain in the ass with these two guys. Like I write about like gender theory and things in horror. So like you guys are speaking my language, and it's like, oh, finally, I get someone who talks about what I'm interested in. Hey, oh, really, BJ? <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ! Oh boy! I, I, I. Uh, I opened the can of worms on myself. It's fine. No, it's okay. So, um. Personal question, though, uh, you know, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. With the whole uh, blind date thing, when you met Josh, I mean, was were you familiar with his work in the past? 
Uh, being being a being a horror a horror fan. Well, once once yeah, once we like met in person, then I really put it two and two together. So yeah, once once we actually were hanging out in person, but not yeah. before. Before it wasn't like it didn't ring a bell, but yeah. then I was like, oh wait a minute, you know, and then jackpot, and, right? <laughs> and then and then for like a second it was like, oh right, and then it was just like you know. We forgot about that, and then we were talking about. Uh, I think we talked about like MGM in the 30s or something <laughs> for a while. Let me tell you, you got to do what you got to do to get laid. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I would be dropping the Teen Witch card every fucking day of my life. You know, you know I, have to, I have to say the Teen Witch card was really valuable in Iowa. <laughs> it got me like, yeah, it, it, it was like. It was my dance card. It was so bizarre. Nice. I, went to, I went to grad school in Iowa City, and um, it was <laughs> – I just – I mean, I would go to like – I went to – I'm sorry. I'm just laughing. I to, <laughs> no, I, I totally, I totally was, get it. I went to college like an hour away from Iowa City, so I, I – yeah. I grew up I grew up in Iowa basically too, so. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I I was uh from from the age of ten on I was in uh, North Central Iowa. Okay, and 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 what college did you go to, BJ? I went to the beautiful Western Illinois University in Boom. Macomb, I, Illinois. I was hoping you were going to tell me you went to the Maharashi School, where the <laughs> floaters. Do you know about no, that? I do, but I did not. <laughs> okay. I really want to go. Wait, there. what's the floaters? Tell me about the floaters. It's they the it's a Maharashi. They like literally they claim that they're all. Levitating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I buy it. And now David Lynch is teaching, is going to be, they're having a David Lynch filmmaking course in, at the college, and then you get to come to L.A. and meet him, part of your wow. curriculum um, for TMers. Are we doing this? <laughs> no. I want to do the floating thing. Anyway, so. go to Iowa. Anyway, any, anything to get out of L.A., frankly. Right, exactly. Well, yeah, I could. Uh, well, anyway, so the thing is, we went, I, I went there. And it, it was bizarre that Teen Witch. I mean, I didn't understand, you know, until you get to the heart. I mean, I knew that Teen Witch had a huge following, but I didn't quite. This was what? This was 2001. But I did not realize, like, in the heartland, what it meant to people. The buffet of nubile students that would throw themselves at you. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I think like, I, I think oh. I think the name of the gay bar was like the name of every gay bar in every small town. It was called Alley Cat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to remember when I think like I'm almost positive I've been there, <laughs> but I, college was a hell of a drug. I don't remember a lot of things that happened. I know, neither do I. I was yeah, I wasn't really present either. But um, I, ha- I had yeah, I, can't. I, yeah. <laughs> well, if you ever want to come to Cleveland, it's bounce over here. So. We have pulse down here. Bounce, wow, That's okay. pulse. That's my favorite. So yeah, so so Teen Witch, yes, it was a uh, it was my calling card in Iowa and other such places. Oh God, that sounds so sad. <laughs> That's not. There's nothing sad about that. Like, uh, like. <laughs> Girls didn't really have the weird kind of quirky coming of age horror films the way boys did. Teen Witch is the closest thing we had. Like the more I think about it, like that was the closest thing. Like we all had that feeling of I don't belong, nobody likes me. Oh wait, witchcraft. There we go. That works. <laughs> witchcraft. 
<laughs> well, and that's the other thing. I mean, not to get into more queer theory here, but like gays love witches, right? Oh, they're, God, yeah. You know, they're strong women. They're women who've been, you know, thrown out of conventional society, you know, sort of the mainstream society. They're outcasts. I mean, there's so much identification with witches among, like, gay men. It's it's really interesting. And I, I <laughs> what were you going to say? No, I don't know. I always, like, I always, I don't know. I remember, like, when I was in high school, I worked at Walden Books with a guy named Orin who uh, claimed he was a uh, a gay witch into sex magic with a K. And I just remember really. Can he be my new best friend? <laughs> no, I was. Like, oh, do, are you still in touch? Like, he had glasses and a ponytail, and I just had a hard time. I was just <laughs> I was like, I don't know. So, like, the witch thing, I always kind of rebelled against the witch thing, like, being young. Like, I didn't identify. Actually, that's not true, until I saw the craft. But by then, I was in senior year of high school, and I was kind of like, okay. But the craft was awesome. The craft is amazing. Oh, my God. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. a bulk for life. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty incredible. Uh, <laughs> what is she doing these days? We should uh, put in more movies. She had a witch store, like a kind of witch vampires. It's in Hollywood, and I think we did we, buy, did we like buy like a bong there? No, I we think bought we bought a bong there once, <laughs> or like some no. potion. We did something there, but she had this really cool witchy store that sold lots of interesting paraphernalia. Yeah, it was it was cool. I don't she know what she's like up a to. Cool lady. I think she's I think she's acting again, but I I don't I don't know. Anyway, oh, she's amazing. I love the idea of the actresses that have now like embraced that sort of side of them and now like they they own a store or like half the reason that I want to live in LA is because like I can get I can get a bra by by <laughs> Jeanette Goldstein. She can fit me for a bra. Like that is so fucking cool. <laughs> like I don't care about anything else. Like sure theaters are great. Getting to see films early, but like that that's getting a bra. Getting a bra. Getting Vasquez to fit you personally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? This Vasquez hooked told me up. Me, like, they're like, yeah, no, she specializes in like busty women. I was like, what? This is happening. <laughs> it's crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> it's actually gotten quite. It's, it's she's gotten well. She's become quite like sort of the. Well, I think she's sort of cornering the market and she's got these stories. Yeah, she's like a breast whisperer at this point. Everyone just <laughs> talks about how like incredible she is at what she does. The breast whisperer. <laughs> that brings up all, all other kind of images, but go on. I may, I may need to check out the store just to, <laughs> just out of curiosity. Oh, you would just go feel around. You would. <laughs> <laughs> so final girls, because we got way off topic. <laughs> Brad, did you have, uh, did, didn't you have some questions? Dude, uh, I like, all right, fine. I'm just, I have to be a fanboy. You had some fanboy questions. Yeah, oh, I mean, <laughs> my whole fucking life from the time I was like six has revolved around class in 1999. <laughs> and that's not a fucking joke. You can go it's back and listen, listen to every fucking episode. And I mention it every fucking time. Really? All I want to say is, you know, I'm being dead serious. Like that class of 1999 is kind of the reason why I wanted to be a writer director and got into film. Oh my God. Wow. I, I'm so not, awesome. yeah, I'm, I'm not joking with you. You know, it, that's really cool. Thank you. I, yeah, I, it means that's... so much to me. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and when I found out that, you know, because when the final girls came out, 
I was looking up and I was like, holy fuck, Josh, because I knew your name immediately. And I was like, what the fuck, Josh Miller? Like, fucking Homer? Like, what the hell's going on here? And then, like, I was like, fucking Angel, Angel, <laughs> Angel. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it was just like, I don't know. It was a big thing for me. And it's that movie is just a huge part of my life. I mean, it's like every fucking day I have to quote it or try to sell somebody on watching it. So I don't really have any questions other than just <laughs> saying thank you for uh, for playing Angel. I I am well well a thank you so much. I I I'm very I'm thank you. That's that's very kind and I didn't have a lot to do with making it other than acting in it, I guess. But Yeah. Um it's interesting. I, that movie that movie's really interesting in a way because it was completely sort of prophetic about what was going to happen in schools, right? I mean, when you see them going into into high school through metal detectors, you're like, yeah, that's that's never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, like, think about it. I mean, it was, I know, it's, huh? it was such a sort of dystopian view of the future. And yet so much of what it sort of was sort of suggesting was going to happen is sadly has happened and will happen. Um, the idea of robo teachers, this I don't know. <laughs> but but I will but I will but I will say this, though, I really I saw the movie recently. A buddy of mine, a director, had well. Here's this is why I'm grateful for the story because my I met like my first like love crush on that set. It was a girl, and if you watch, what? The, if you, <laughs> I'm down. Mark knows all about. I know this story. He knows the story a billion times. But I was 13 at the time. No, yeah, I was just like. You know, hitting the real high end of puberty. It was, and my mom normally was on set when I would shoot stuff. And this time she, I don't know, she, she couldn't be there. I think my grandmother was ill. And so I went with a chaperone to Seattle for like two weeks, which translates to party, right? Like chaperone, you're an actor in a big city. You get per diem, which means you get, you know, obviously you get that money every day they give you. And here I am in my own hotel room in a big city, which is like crazy, right? Even though I technically have the chaperone, but she was also Drew Barrymore's chaperone. So if you get any idea of what kind of freedom, (laughs) so I get this opportunity to basically, I see this girl on set and she's like this tiny little thing with like short, like short black bob hair, really like a really cool pale, fair skin, black bob. And and she looks like a 20 silent film star, sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, Louise Brooks or something. And I'm like, ha. And I just the minute I saw her, because I've always sort of like wanted to live in the 20s in Paris. I've always been like this romantic about that era. And she just had that quality. And I went up to her and I said, you want to be a star. I, I didn't say you want to be a star. <laughs> I know I didn't say, hey, I was in Teen Witch. <laughs> what do you mean? So, uh. Maybe you should have. But anyway. Was it Rose McGowan? Yes. Okay. And, and so, and I was like, you're the. I'm, you, I'm that good. That's how big of a fan I am. Well, if you watch the. She's <laughs> yeah, in, she, she, she's in, she's on the, sitting at Langford's office. Yeah. If you watch, if you watch the movie, she's almost in every scene and there's zero continuity because she cannot be in that many places at once, but she managed <laughs> to find her way into every scene. And, and she took me out that night. She was a runaway and she was living with a bunch of drag queens and she was like 14 at the time. And she got me into this place called the pink door and we had sex on the beach, the drink. And I got. So I got, it was my first time ever getting drunk. 
it was my first time for a lot of things that week. And she sort of became kind of like this sort of, um, well, the rabbit into the rabbit hole of like kind of subculture and art and drag queens and gay culture. She was like my sort of my, my Eskimo, I guess, would you call Sherpa. it? My Sherpa. So, and then we've remained obviously really close friends ever since. And we recently wrote a short film for her that she directed that was at Sundance that was really well received there. And now we're in negotiations with her to do a big horror movie that she's going to direct. That's a very strong feminist horror film that we sort of have conceived for her. So it, it, I'm so grateful that class of 1999 came into my life because, you know, that's the great thing about making movies. Sometimes the movies are not good. Sometimes they are, but you like make relationships that potentially could last forever. And that was one of like the best aspects of making class of 1999 for sure. That's amazing. And then I met her and then I came home and I said to my mom, I've met like this girl and she has to be an actress. She has to be in Hollywood and she has nowhere to go and she's a runaway. And my mom's like, well, what do you want me to do about it? I'm like, can't we just let her live here? She has nowhere to go. And she's like, so like she and I would write these like love letters to each other from LA <laughs> to Seattle. And then finally, like I convinced her to like run away again and come to Hollywood. And then, you know, she needed a place to stay and she lived with us because she had nowhere to go. And that was sort of, um, I don't know, a seminal moment for both of us in a lot of different ways. So, wow. yeah. No, it's awesome. So now I just hold it over I, and like every time she, you know, <laughs> gives me shit, I'm like, ah, you wouldn't have this house, bitch. Okay. <laughs> Anyway. Uh, that's well, awesome. no, that's great news for me because that's just a, something else I can take from that. <laughs> from the movie. I, figured, yeah. I, I had to give you a little history. I figured you'd appreciate it. Yeah, that. yeah, no, it's a, anything. I, I've actually spoke to, you know, spoken with Bradley Gregg before, just asking him questions. Uh-huh. Like, just total, total fucking fanboy over it. <laughs> it's, so. it's a good movie. I, I, I think it needs a bigger cult following. It hasn't quite. It hasn't quite found its cult following yet, but I, I'm I, trying I, here. I'm trying. I keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> you do preach the gospel of class of 1999 every single fucking week. You do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm the one asking all these crazy questions, and we get sidetracked. Yeah, it's all good. But I love it. <laughs> That's good. We got. Oh, I shit. think. Okay. We got. We have. We'll be more concise. We'll be more concise. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. I think we have a. All. We have a not, strong. No, 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 show no. here, people. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just. It's just. It's just funny. It's just. It really is. So, I mean, we we're fucking talking about Jeanette Goldstein about the final, and we're not even talking about final girls anymore. <laughs> I know. Um. Were you? Let's see here. <clears throat> I don't know note. where to go. I know. I don't know I'm just like we've been all over the place. I just keep smiling because I'm like, this is yeah. everything that I love right now is happening. Just uh, the idea of just like subcultures and horror and like how it relates to society. I'm just like, oh god, yes, everything, everything I love, everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Final Girls is it's on uh, VOD right now. Um, did it get a limited theatrical? Did we? Yeah, it did. Uh, yes. So I was trying to think. I haven't. I don't know if I saw it playing around me, but I'm sure it's in, in Very LA. Limited would be the operative word. Limited. <laughs> I mean, I think like all. The, I think it, it all the major city, like like not major cities, but like I think somewhere in San Francisco, New York, okay. L.A. You know, different places like that. Yeah, oh, I think San it was Paul Newman who was it. Paul Newman. I don't know who once someone asked him about a little movie he did once, and 
He said, that movie wasn't released, it escaped. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much what Final Girls is like. Yeah. What I mean, I'm seeing this happen more often. I mean, it's happening with uh, uh, Bone Tomahawk is VOD limited theatrical, but a lot of people would say would would say, man, that you need to go see it, go to a theater to see that film. We're getting again. This is happening quite a bit with like a lot of these movies coming out on VOD and limited release. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Are you guys happy that it's just out? Or I mean, me, I have kids. I don't make it out to the theater much. Theater much, so I'm super. Uh, pumped when a movie is on VOD so I can actually watch it. But uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this kind of trend moving towards VOD? Well, I think there's a, I think, look, I think there's a bunch of ways to look at it. And I think because we're in such, because the movie business is in such transition, obviously, mm-hmm. right now, I think that there's no right answer, I think, at the moment. Yeah. I think the first thing to say is, is that I think it's really contingent on what kind of movie it is, really. I think the unfortunate thing about Final Girls being on VOD is that it's not just a VOD film. Right. right. Yeah, and that's I think what I'm hearing. I, I think it's a communal film. I think it's a movie you want to see with a group of people in an audience that give you permission to have a good time, that are all, like, laughing at the moments. And so you build, like, kind of the way we all saw great classics together in a large audience, whether it's sitting in a line outside of the Cinerama Dome to go see E.T. and having that like magical moment of, of watching that film on, on, on spool on the screen or the idea of being in a great horror film, like seeing Scream for the first time mm-hmm. at UCLA. I on can't campus. imagine seeing that for the first time on only on it, it, It's not yeah, a movie that should be seen alone. I, look, I don't think it's a movie that needs, that should be seen alone. I mean, I guess, wait, one of you were at South by Southwest, correct? Yeah, I was. So you saw the kind of response it had there, right? You no, know, it was. I still clear, uh, categorize that as one of my favorite all-time movie-going experiences wow. with an audience. Wow! But see, there you go. That's yeah. exactly what we're talking about, and and the idea that it's not going to have that opportunity concerns me because I think those kind of experiences are how films become cult movies and how they spread and grow and and. I don't know if you can still have that same kind of legacy by just being thrown out to VOD. Mm-hmm. I think that potentially it's a less of a, a life potentially or less of a chance of a life. So, but then again, it's also opportunity for people to find it and discover it and always be there. But I, I'm, I don't know if this kind of movie was appropriate to just have only a very limited release. Cause it's not like some small arty, you know, yeah. character. Bergman movie about relationships. This is like a big, big movie in its ideas and sort of in terms of uh, action. And I think that's necessary for an audience. But I think the flip side of it is, is that you have a movie like Beasts of No Nation, which comes out and it makes no money in the theaters, partly because, well, mostly because a lot of theaters wouldn't book it. And partly because, because they knew it was going to be on Netflix at the same time. So in a way, Netflix shot themselves in the foot by having it be on Netflix and in the theaters. So I don't know if the two go together necessarily. I mean, I don't know what's happening with knock knock. I mean, I started watching it. I, I wouldn't have paid to go see it per se, but I started watching it at home and I'm going to finish it. I, I Mark finished it. And I kind of felt like it's the so- first movie about how millennials are terrifying. <laughs> and that has its own value, but, yeah. but anyway, with, without getting that tangent. So to answer your question, I think that it's, it's too soon to say what these sort of this new paradigm is going to be. And I think it's film specific. You know, obviously yeah. I think I, I'm not happy that this was the only way, but then again, I'm happy that at least is out there and people are finding it because guess what? There are people like you who said there's no, that's not playing near you. So how else are you going to find it? Yeah. yeah. 
That's 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 the same with me. I mean, I I live in live in Florida. I mean, we're lucky to get anything, you know. And exactly. I, I don't even think this is playing in Florida at all. Like, if it's you actually, have wanted to see it starts in Florida next week, actually. Okay. Cool. Oh, it is? Yeah, at like the Sunray Theater or something. I don't know. I forget. But it's like, I mean, it's it's yeah. It's like you have that experience, you know, where you were able to catch it, you know, because you're you know you're homebound a good deal of the time, and you know, which is great, but. I don't know. I mean, we're just a culture now that seems to prize convenience over everything. And I, you know, I, I don't, you know, we're, I think we lose a lot when we make everything just convenience. I think, um, I love that Tarantino's taking his new movie on the road. Oh yeah. I, 70 everywhere. That's, that's, you know, because he's such a film purist and I love that about him. And I love that he's going to, you know, remind people that film is a great art and that we don't, bury it onto VOD because I think that's what's happening. And look, some movies, sure, they belong there. That's the way to find them. But I, I don't think it should be at the sacrifice of having the theatrical experience. Yeah. If, if I had a, if I had a choice, if I was able to make it, I would definitely theatrical experience is my, you know, my preferred. And I, you know what? I think really, I think me watching this, watching the final girls on VOD by myself, uh, after everyone had gone to bed in my house, you know, I think maybe that, you know, colored my viewing in in the wrong light you know what i mean um i I think completely i think i think it's it's completely the reason i think you would have had i'm not going to say you would have loved the movie a billion times more but i think you would have had a more experiential like joy about it and and that's part of what this movie is and there's a lot of movies that you go to that have that and i miss it it's like i don't (laughs) i mean in a way you could almost uh, say who wants to go to a concert but be, be the only person at the concert? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, that's, not, that's not fun. <laughs> you know, although I, although I might be the only person going to Madonna tomorrow night. I mean, meaning no one went with me oh, if stop. I get a ticket. Because I, I need my gay passport stamp. <laughs> Wait, did someone just get slapped? Um, no, that was me, like hitting my fist. <laughs> <laughs> hitting I thought some slapping abuse was going on the other end. Oh, so. <laughs> I, I need this... some good things in my life. That's uh, awesome. She's not, she's not doing all the retro She is. Stuff. She's doing a bunch of retro songs. Anyway. She's, no, I, you told me that it's like... <laughs> like this is um, the gayest conversation. Well, you know what? The screencast can handle it. <laughs> I encourage it. Keep it's it even coming. too gay for me. Okay. Um, this, the one thing that I'm, I'm really thankful that it is on Hoodie, though, for... And it's super selfish and I don't even care. Um, my mother is the person who got me really into horror films. She's like the sweetest, nicest lady in the world. She's a pageant <laughs> director, but she loves horror films and it so completely cool. rubbed off on me. And I kept telling her that she needed to watch this and she kept getting it confused with Scream Queens. She's like, I don't want to see that. I don't like Ryan Murphy. And I was like, I understand that, but. It's not the same. Like it's not anything to do with anything. Like watch this. So this weekend, um, you know, I'm in production of a musical and my mom is FaceTiming me and I'm like in a costume and I was like, "Mom, I can't FaceTime you." And she's like, "No, you have to FaceTime me. I'm, I I found the movie. I want to make sure it's the right one." I was like, "Okay, sure." So I, you know, FaceTime her, I'm making trying to look through a computer screen at her television <laughs> to let her know she's picked the right one on VOD. <laughs> And she watches it while I'm doing my show. I get done with the show. I FaceTime her again. And she's like, 
I just wish you would have been home to watch it. This is a movie for me and you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> mom. And, like, she loved it. And she, she would never, ever, ever go out to the theater to see it because she hates going by herself and my dad won't go with her. So that was, like, always <laughs> our thing was, like, the horror movie. So everything was... Oh, this is, it reminds me of when I showed you Nightmare on Elm Street when you were four. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know, you were a neglectful like, parent. Mom, Good that's job. Sick. I love you. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, she, she, maybe we could, you know, that would be, that would look, that's, that's the, that kind of story, like, totally warms our black little hearts. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's like maybe, maybe in the long run, maybe years from now, we can, you know, slowly grow and we can be like a Christmas story, but for Halloween, you know, like maybe we can have that <laughs> at the corner of that, uh, that sort of market for, for Halloween, right? I don't know. I'm perpetually optimistic and I always try to find the, the nice side to everything. So. Anytime you, anytime you're like, I feel bad that our film's on VOD, I will find some reason why it's a good, a good thing. No, and, and it is. Look, I mean, there's tons of people that have wrote us notes that I don't believe saw. I don't think Stephen King saw it in the theaters. I don't believe Kevin Williamson saw it in the theater. I don't believe Sam Raimi saw it in the theater. I believe all these people literally just went online. I mean, I remember seeing Kevin Williamson post a thing saying, I need suggestions for a horror movie to watch. And then, like, all these people were saying, watch The Final Girls. And then he watched it and wrote Mark and I this amazing letter. And so there you go. Yeah, I think they can work hand in hand. I, I, just, I, I would hate to see the theatrical experience go straight to VOD. And that's I think that's my point is I would rather have the, them be, you know, the choices that, you know, uh, depending on your situation. But obviously, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, it's the almighty dollar and, and movies can only so many movies can get into a theater. Yep. But, um, exactly. But it's, it's, I think, you know, I really hope that they, these different formats work hand in hand. And, and I, I would hate to have the theater, the theatrical experience gone. I mean, hell, I, like, I, I, I miss just, I miss going to the movie store and browsing DVDs and VHS. You know what I mean? Like, like that is non existent anymore. And for me, I that know. was a communal experience with it, friends. It's everything. it's everything. I mean, we have one place here left. In LA, which I can't believe there's only it one, is. but it's, no. it's, well, no, but Amoeba, where you can actually go and buy, well, there's a couple, Cinephile yeah. and Amoeba that we peruse at least. And it's like the only, I just love going there and buying shit as opposed to just going online, you know, but even Amoeba is very impersonal now. It's like all the stuff is up there, but there's not, there's not, there's not that conversation with that eccentric guy who works at the video yes. store who's going to like basically, Cinephile, you, have that. you know, you talk to about their passions and the, and the same thing with bookstores. It's the same thing, but you know, I don't want to sound like some like crotchety, you know, person. Like, <laughs> oh, I know. Look, Obi, we, we appreciate the technology of course, you know, but I mean, I remember growing up, it was exciting to go to the video store and see what are you going to get? What hallway, what weird thing are you going to unearth on whatever shelf yeah. you can't reach? You know, now it's like Josh and I, we sit on the, on the couch and flip through iTunes and, you know, we have way more selection, but we end up kind of falling asleep, actually. It's almost overkill. Like you spend all your time just looking for something, trying to yes. find something, decide on something. And then <laughs> by the time you decided something, it's, yeah, you're, you're too it's tired. It's the curse of convenience. Asleep. Yeah. It, the convenience everywhere is a curse. It's not good for us. It's, I, I'm convinced it's not the best. I think it's good in certain respects and I think it's, it, it makes us, our minds, our brains soft in other ways. You kind of have to train yourself, I guess. You kind of have to almost deny yourself certain things so they become, you know, a treat. You know, you got to Completely. Look, I mean, really Cronenberg movies. Like, I remember, like, 
you know, if I was a kid and I had Apple TV and I started a Cronenberg movie that was like a little off and kind of like tonally, I'd be like, what is going on? I might give up on it because I'm like, well, I can just rent something else. But no, when I was a kid and I brought home a Cronenberg movie, I was like, shit, I don't have, you know, like I can't go back to the video store. So I'm stuck watching this and I would have to watch it and I would exactly have to come around to it <clears throat> now, you know, this like. This kind of like everything on demand thing, I think. Yeah, that's the problem is that everything is just so obtainable to us. So you have those families, you have those people that yep. start watching something 15 minutes in, they mm -hmm. can turn it off and switch to something else. They don't invest themselves going to the theater, going to the video store. You were invested in that product, whether you liked it or not, and you finished it and you watched it. Nowadays, it's just so easy to turn off the fucking thing yep. and forget it that it even exists, and it's really fucking irritating. Yeah. Which is so it's, weird, though, because we've also now become a culture that binge watches like crazy, but it feels like with television, we can totally justify sitting down and watching 12 hours of something, but you look at a movie and you're like, ugh, two and a half hours, ugh, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I know, that, what is that about? That's so bizarre. I don't know, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me, but I, I, I oh, do Oh, that myself. looks really long, I, I, oh, that looks really depressing, meanwhile, People are binging Breaking Bad, which is about like I mean the most <laughs> horrific, violent, amazing, incredible. Like I willingly sat through like nine episodes in a row of Jane the Virgin the other day, and then went to watch a documentary that was two and a half hours, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> What's wrong with me? That is, it's such an odd. It, it's it's that's that's such a weird dichotomy. I don't know. Look, I mean, we look we. We're not going to like sit here and complain, oh, we have all this knowledge and access at our fingertips. <laughs> right. It's so hard. It's so bad. Of course, it's not bad. It's amazing. It's just right. that the, the convenience, I think, can create a, a, a dependency on next, <laughs> next, <laughs> next, <laughs> next, that is not necessarily going to give you, uh, give you a, 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 a real strong viewing. I, I, I just don't know if people are going to glom on to the things and find the things that they're going to be passionate about. In the way that it was possible to do 20 years ago, because it, you had to search for things a little bit. Right, better. but but I but I think this is kind of going back to what I was saying, but not totally. In that, look, you're you're talking about watching Jane the Virgin on a binge, and I think the relationship that people have with the TV show is very different than the relationship people have with movies. That's very true. And I think that there's something, like as Mark was saying, exciting about going to the movies. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a destination. It's a ritual. You're going to like an event and, 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 and it doesn't feel like, ugh, two hours when you go somewhere. It's like you're excited and then you're actually kind of disappointed, assuming the movie's good. When it's over, you're like, oh, yeah. now I gotta go home. I don't wanna go home. I wanna see another movie. I wanna, I want to stay out. Yeah. But I think the culture and our relationship to narrative has shifted now where I think that there's a not a preference but a, a strong leaning towards people wanting to bring stories into their home. And I don't think we do that with movies as much because I think movies are a different beast. So I think the idea of watching a TV show is bringing in a person into your life on a on a on almost like a, a friend or par member of the family. So That's I true. think you – really become intimate with it. The movies, movies are not built that way mm -hmm. and TV shows are not, I mean, look, we're right. We, we have a, we just created a new TV show that's coming out in March and it, it's, you're, you're, it's all about building characters that people want to invite into their home weekly. It's a totally different approach. So it, of course you're hooked by Jane the Virgin and of course don't want to watch a two hour documentary. It makes complete sense. Because in a way, you're sitting in your living room. You want to talk to Jane. That's what you're doing. You're including her in your life, and you're re you're you're. 
it's the way you are with like a big epic novel, I think, is the way sort of that comparison is. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's, I think, the, the main connection, like the, the big novel. That was it. Like that yeah. light bulbed it for me. It, I mean, it's the, it's the big novel, but I, I'm, but I'm convinced it's also about, bringing someone in, like I brought the family from Sopranos. I brought the family from six feet under so deeply into my heart and life that when they all died at the end of six feet under, I was literally depressed for like a month. I mean, we also show. binged it. We, we, how, how we, we binged, we binged all seasons like in three weeks, two weeks. Yeah. It was, it was it actually, we don't recommend we that. We were like <laughs> up from like seven at night to like seven in the morning. Oh it was yeah. It was like, it was like a, yeah. but, but that's kind of, that's really interesting. And I think that, um, and that's, I don't it's, know. It's so, also because movies now, I mean, I'm, I'm less prone to commit to watching a movie now when I'm flipping through Apple TV or Netflix because most movies fucking suck now. They do suck, but I don't think, <laughs> yeah, but I don't have this, I don't, <laughs> they're boring. No, they do, but guess what? I'm not from the school of like, oh, movies are suck and TV's better. That's not no, true. No, I don't think, I don't no. think. I think they're totally different mediums and I think they're both really valid the way that books are a value, the way movies are, but they're totally different. But this whole argument like, TV's where story is, TV is where it is. I'm like, no, no that's not true. There's, there's great ways to make movies and there's great stories on TV. It's not, you don't have to choose. Basically is what I'm saying. Although writing for TV right now is, um, it's challenging because you're, you're wanting to make something cinematic, but you also, you know, you also have to sort of, like I said, what we talked about is create characters that people want to be intimately connected mm -hmm. to. And so you, you have to really, how do I put this? You have to really sort of fight for something that's like character based because now in TV, what's happening is that the golden age of TV, that, like is, is, it was Sopranos, it was Six Feet Under, Breaking Bad. Like that was like sort of the big, those sort of, you know, monumental shows. But now it's like everyone caught on. And those shows were made when people weren't looking. And there were that many <laughs> channels. There so, that many and channels. now because there's so many channels, everyone's now acting like studios and they're going, how do we, how do we loud. get people to, to be loud? How do we get people to watch our show? You know, and that's like not reverse engineering like that is really bad for storytelling. It's blockbuster mentality. Exactly. And then the weird thing is, so that now that's really creeping in in television, which is strange because that's where the movie business was. And then conversely, in the movies, at least we can only speak from our personal experience, like we're writing a couple of movies for Warner Brothers. They are amazing. They are so much fun and so exciting to develop with because they're about character. They're about trusting the people they work with. They're, they're just wonderful. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, five, six years ago, you know, everyone would have told you, oh, that's your going to be your experience in television. And we're finding that less and less. Now we're finding that more. And well, more but movies. we're, but we're also writing a television show for a big network and it's not like a, it's not a premium. You know, there's a real difference between network, basic cable and premium. We're writing a show for basic cable. Yeah. So it's, it's different. They have commercials. It's blockbuster mentality. Well, yeah, they have commercials. They've got to yeah. get, they've got to have major. Keep them back. Keep them coming back. Yeah. There's also a packages. lack of. Permanence with television because if there's a show that's bad, they pull it oh, and then yeah. it's gone. And yeah. unless you watched it when it was on, the likelihood that you're going to track it down and find it is pretty slim to none, except yeah, for you know things like Netflix. Um, whereas films, you know, you could be in a little indie gem that nobody sees, but you're going to be around forever. The story, the way that it's supposed to be told. So when you find it, you're getting the whole piece. Whereas a television show that was canned a little early, yeah. you're only getting part of the story. That's so frustrating. That's that's my biggest frustration about TV. 
<clears throat> yeah, there's a showstopper right there, Sean. What Sorry, Jesus Christ. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, all, no. All I I'm mean, saying is there needs to be more episodes of. Uh, oh, what is it that uh, two guys, girls, and pizza place? No, it's. Uh, don't trust the girl in apartment twenty three. Don't or, trust the bee in apartment yes. twenty three. God, that show yeah, is so good. Seasons. It kills me. It's all it was kills so me that good. it's over. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know why it was canceled. Nobody was watching it, but I thought it was amazing. Wait, the, the good, the, the best episodes of that series were amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was funny. Just James Vanderbeek being oh fictional. God. James Vanderbeek, like I can watch ten seasons of that. Um, well, watch our show when it comes out in April. It's called Queen of the South. And it's on USA, and which is now cool because of Mr. Robot. <laughs> um, and uh, it it's a Latina Scarface. Oh, oh my god, I'm so into it. Um, Down. And it's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty raw and out there, and unlike anything that's ever been on USA. Cool. So, and we're shooting that's now. Exciting. Elise Braga plays the queen. So it's 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 just you really watch her ascent as she ascends to her her throne, but also we kind of flash forward to the future as she is sort of the the queen pin. One of the coolest things for us that we got really excited about recently is that we got uh, Giorgio Moroder and his um, and his composing partner Rainy Shockney to uh, score the series. So that's really oh, exciting. Nice. Our big nod that's to awesome. Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so yeah, keep keep. You and your listeners, tune in, USA. We will. April? I don't know. I'll put it up. When do you say that comes out? April. I don't know what the release is. You can go on the USA, you know, uh, website, but I don't know when, when the plan is to release it. I'll, I'll track it down and I'll throw it in the show notes. I got a note right here to do yeah, that. It, it, it's, the, the order is Mr. Robot and then this new show that's coming out, Colony, Colony and then our show. Nice. Very yeah. cool. Is uh we're gonna wrap up here wrap up here shortly. Is there anything else you guys can talk about that you're in development? I know that the way things are, there's you know, there's always develops developments going on, but there's only certain things you can talk about. Is there anything else we haven't mentioned that you guys can plug or no? I mean, I, I think I think Queen of the South is one of the main things to plug because that's okay. coming out and that's already made and being shot right now. The rest of the series, I think we are you know we're we're in talks to. I can't say with who, but with a major film studio for Rose to direct a horror film that we're going to write. We're doing a couple movies at Warner Brothers. I don't think we can talk about who the elements are mm-hmm. at the yeah. moment. That's okay. But but they're it's pretty exciting, um, <clears throat> and I hopefully it'll be announced sooner than later. Um, well, it's great that you guys are busy. You know, it's great. What's yeah? What's really fantastic for me is seeing how a movie can take you guys and uh a, a few years to develop and finally get out and springboard into more work and that's kind of what you want you know in this business you know is, is to keep work going from one project to the next and it's just great that that's happening for you guys you well know, you know the final girls was really in many ways the, one of the major skeleton keys that opened up all the yeah. doors because the i think i think i think i think when it really kicked in was when Paul Feig read final girls Mm -hmm. and he was looking for two writers to, to write. Oh, I'm not supposed to actually talk about this, but (laughs) anyway, he had final girls and he wanted us to write something for him. Mm -hmm. And then we developed a creative collaboration with him. And then from that 
sort of it got the attention of Warner Brothers, and then it just sort of became a snowball effect. That's great. So, um, yeah, we pretty much owe it all to Final Girls, really. So Final Girls has been a huge and. But if we really think about it, we go even one step back before that, I can totally map all the dots, um, as Mr. Jobs said, uh, is we were in New York doing a reading for a play about that I wrote about my dad. And that brought us to New York. And we were having a general meeting with a producer there. And Mark was like, oh, I want to talk about The Final Girls. And I was like, that's kind of a crazy movie to pitch. Maybe they'll think we're nuts. Maybe you don't want to say it yet. But of course, Mark, as passionate as he is, and sometimes you just got to take, you know, your partner's lead. He went off and talked about it and they fell in love. And that kind of actually kickstarted the whole sort of like the, 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 the beginning of the whole project. And then we sort of fell in love with it. And, uh, and then the rest is, you know, kind of, uh, legitimized it a little. Yeah. <laughs> So in a way, if we hadn't gone to do that, I don't think if we had gone to do the play reading in New York about my dad. So in the end, like it being about my dad, it all dad. comes back to my dad. It all, it, really, it, all, it, all, <laughs> it all comes back to family. We cannot escape family. That's, 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 that's the bottom line. That's, that's cool. About that's where you know made it come to fruition, and you know that's why uh, that's why it got me. Okay, we're talking a lot. That's okay. awesome. Well, hey, we wish you guys. Uh, all the best. We really, I mean, excited yeah. to see yeah. uh, what you're developing, what you're, what you're, you know, working mm-hmm. on. Uh, Queen of the South sounds great, so we will definitely be checking that out. But uh, I want to thank you know, thank you guys for being just being so candid with us. We really appreciate um, you guys coming on, and and you know, when more things come down the line, we'd love to have you back for sure. Hey, you, you know, we always remember our first. <laughs> that we do. <laughs> yes, um, we uh, we're, we are totally game for it. Whenever you want. Cool. Yeah, bring Queen of the South. Bring us back for Queen of the South. Sounds great. Absolutely. Um, Brad and BJ, did you have anything else um, to chime in before we? Uh, before we? I thought I else? heard someone say Black Hearts earlier, and I got all excited. <laughs> Our Black Hearts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you for for doing what you do, and you know, writing things that come from an angle that you know is often overlooked or you know spoken over and i think that it's really exciting to see new voices you know in a genre that i love so much and voices that you know have something to say that's interesting and fresh and new and i'm glad that you know you seem to be finding success with it because that'll get you know more people with interesting voices you know a chance to talk as well and that's just exciting to see that it's, you know, we're watching it happen from the ground up. I think that there's something really special about the two of you and, you know, what you're bringing to the table that I think has been needing, needed to be at a table for a very long time. Well, thank you. That's, That's very kind. And, and, you know, the thing, the funny thing about it is, is that every time we like got a job that, was like to write someone else's script. It's like, we never really did a good job, but like when we were actually wrote what, what we were compelled to write our, from our heart and what we, our passions are, what we knew to be the truth about something, then we always sort of like succeeded. We always, it was always sort of this idea when you, uh, when you really sort of follow what is true for you and your vision, I, I, it's such a cliche, but it's so true. You know, I mean, I could just remember like, so, you know, X amount of years ago, like just banging our heads against the wall, trying to fit, into a different kind of sort of space when we needed to create the space. And, and so now we're getting an opportunity to um, explore that and hopefully we'll get more opportunities to tell the story. So cool. I'm sure you will. All right. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, Brad. No, I was just, I was just going to say, I, I think even though, you know, the final girls wasn't, <clears throat> you know, the, the final product wasn't what you necessarily wanted or expected, I, I, I truly think you have something special. Thank you. Um, whether it's, you know, rated R, you know, the original idea that you had, I, I, I really think at some point, I think it's finding its audience now, but, you know, it's one of those things where it's up there with Scream and Cabin of the Woods for me, where it's, it's something truly unique and special and different from everything else of the, you know, uh, shit that we are getting piled in our faces daily, you know, <laughs> where the between, you know, <laughs> the 50 DVD releases that are on Tuesday or, you know, the shit that they pile on Netflix. Exactly. Um, so well, yeah, means a lot. Thank you. So, but yeah, Thanks good luck with uh, all future projects. Thank you so much. Thank you. And it's great talking to you guys and good luck with your show. Keep doing it and keep us posted. Okay. We will. Thanks guys. Do. Thanks. All Thank right. you. All right. Have a good night. You too. You too. Well, um, we're going to skip our two normal, our two normal segments and move those to next week. Uh, got a couple awesome movies that we want to talk about, but, um, we have to wrap up the show this time. But what I want to do before we wrap up is we're going to be doing a drawing next week. So uh, we want to hear from you. Um, write us at readme at the screamcast.com. Um, uh, just kind of like how the final girls had a, a message or whatever to the film, like with the mother and daughter relationship that really kind of spoke to me a little bit. And I was surprised at the earnestness and the heartfelt message that, that the film had about these relationships. Let us know about a movie that had that kind of a, um, had that kind of effect on you. If there's a movie that horror movie that surprised you with kind of its underlying message or thread, um, character thread that really kind of meant a lot to you. We'd like to hear your stories about People that. under the stairs. There you go. Can I just write about Christopher Sarandon and Fright Night? Yes. I mean, it's fan fiction, but <laughs> I'm kidding. Not really. So write us, uh, write us at readme at thescreamcast.com. Let us uh, know your story and what film kind of meant a lot to you because of the underlying uh, message that it, that it, uh, wait, wait, up. wait. So are, are the, you need to be more clear because I'm kind of confused. Are, are they writing about characters in a movie or the kind story? of like the the through story with the characters, like how in the Final Girls, the the daughter dealing with the death of her mother, in the context of a slasher horror movie spoof, what really surprised me that that you know that they brought that into that film. You know what I mean? So something like that. If there was, you know, you know what I'm saying? It makes sense to me. It it. makes sense to me. Okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. So let's know about a a movie that kind of you were surprised or you really appreciated that aspect of the film wrapped around and otherwise would have normally... Like, like without that thread, it would have just been kind of a generic horror film. Um, You know what I mean? And just let us know what... Let me know what what film kind of affected you that way and and why. Cool? Read me at the screencast. What's the surprises? We got a shit ton of coffee shop of horrors to send out you yeah. to you. Um, a mug, an official Screamcast mug, and then Brad has a movie. Uh, I have a copy of Halloween Curse of Michael Myers, the producer's cut on Blu-ray. Nice. Oh, shit. So you can enjoy a way better movie than what you <laughs> probably remember. 
Cool. Because producer's cut is better. So email us. We will do a drawing next show, next week, and we'll get to the two segments next week as well. And uh, you guys don't want to miss those. we got a, an awesome double feature to talk about. Otherwise, all of you guys have a great week. I want to thank uh, oneofus.net and nerdly.co.uk for giving us a shout-out each week. And please give our sponsors some love, Coffee Shop of Horrors, Grindhouse, uh, video.com and uh, buy some some prints, some art from Kevin Spencer. Go to the screamcast.com slash sponsors. There's all the links there. Give them all some love. Uh, you can also, of course, find us on Twitter, scream underscore cast. All of you guys have a great week. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun.